listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Join with me, as always, it's Zisha. Yo. All right, man. So now that the first round of the NBA playoffs is officially over, there, there are still some questions now with some of the eliminated teams that need to be answered. Especially the biggest question of all is, what's next? You know, so in the next couple of episodes, we're going to be kind of, you know, answering those questions for these teams and really figuring out what are the next steps for some of these teams. Because some of these teams are in such interesting predicaments that a first-round exit really makes a front office think now, you know, what can they do to improve their roster and improve their chances of not letting this happen again? Yeah, and I think there's two teams in particular that have these more questions, I think, than any other team. So on this episode, we're going to be basically answering what's next for the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. And yeah, if you've seen our off-season, uh, off-season outlook episodes, it's kind of going to be similar to that. But you know, since we're talking about teams that are actually successful and don't suck, we're going to be talking about the on-court product as well, and not just glossing over that because obviously, you know, the teams that we've covered in the past for the off-season outlook, nobody cares about their on-court product because they suck, right? But teams like the Lakers and the Trailblazers and eventually some of the other teams that we're going to get to, you know, we care about their on-court product. And that plays a major factor into what they want to do in terms of their, you know, win-now aspirations. <clears throat> so like Hani said, jumping right into it with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so this season, obviously, due to the injuries um, and, you know, other teams as well, COVID and whatnot, the Los Angeles Lakers finished uh, with a 42-30 and 30 record. Good for the seventh spot in the Western Conference. Now, obviously, as we remember, um, they had that playing tournament game with the Golden State Warriors, which allowed them to get to that seventh seed. Um, They're also tied in terms of record-wise with the Portland Trailblazers, as we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, But obviously, they did finish with the seventh seed in the West, which led to their second round, uh, I mean, sorry, second-seeded matchup with the Phoenix Suns, where they were eventually kicked out of the playoffs in six games. Pretty convincingly, actually. Pretty convincingly as well, yeah. Um, The problem for them, again, this season they were the best ranked defense in the league, but as always, the problem with them was their 24th ranked offense. They just sucked on offense, and you saw it even more um, when they played the good teams. You know, they only stayed in the game because of the fact that their defense was so good that kept them in the game. And then obviously in the fourth quarter, when you have LeBron and AD, you're able to win a lot of those games. Unfortunately, when you don't have LeBron and AD, which, you know, was the case for them for a large stretch of this season, and then even in the playoffs with LeBron being there by himself, and, you know, obviously he's as age 36 right now, um, not able to carry a team like he once was, then you run into a lot of problems, which is why the LA Lakers got kicked out so, you know, soundly um, in this first round of the NBA playoffs. I think their first order of business, and we've talked about it a number number of times with the LA Lakers this season, they need to fix up their centers. You know, they need to get some capable centers who either A, can shoot and space the floor next to AD and LeBron, or B, who can defend, right? Um, Just like they had JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard last season. Now, those two were not shooters by any stretch. But they were able to play their role on one end of the court and become and you know serve as lob threats on the other end. And we saw this was able to get the LA Lakers through to win the championship, despite them not being shooters. So I think for the LA Lakers and Rob Palinka, you need to be able to target either you know the first type of center, which is a shooter and a guy who can space the floor next to LeBron and AD, or another guy who can help cover up some of their you know, defensive issues on the LA Lakers. Um, as we've seen, the center rotation was a complete mess this season with Marcus Gasol, Andre Drummond, um, and Montrezl Harrell. There was just no chemistry. Each each center had a glaring, glaring weakness. Um, and then obviously, you know, they're, they're, they had a bunch of limitations in which they weren't able to ideally play great with the other players like LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, the second order of business for them is their shooting, right? Um, 
they don't really have many players who are confident shooters that can space the floor for LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. And that They're, burned them in the playoffs, man. Yeah, was, exactly. It was tough to watch, man. At times when you have, like, Kyle Kuzma, you know, gets an open look from LeBron, breaks the shot. Dennis Schroeder, God, I don't know what he was doing this playoff. Breaks the, breaks the shot, starts the game one for five. Like, <laughs> like... I mean, the shooting is big, man, for the Lakers, man. And it's again, it goes back to what your point, which you were saying about the floor spacing for for AD and LeBron as a center. You need that, like they need that type. They need the floor spacing because again, LeBron's trying to get to the lane. At least a healthy LeBron. In this playoffs, it was kind of weird to see LeBron settle for jump shots and to pass it out. But again, when he passes it out, you he expects guys to hit shots and. Yeah, this Lakers team weren't doing it. And speaking of LeBron passing it out, if you've seen the highlights of those games and you watch those games, LeBron was getting quadruple teamed in the paint pretty much. Yeah. And the fact that the Phoenix Suns were so willing to give up open shots time and time again speaks volumes to, as to how bad LA shooting has been um, throughout the season. You know, they have a bunch of guys who can shoot, ideally. Alex Caruso, KCP. Kyle Kuzma, Wesley Matthews. These are all guys that can ideally shoot, but they're not shooters. Um, you know, KCP and Wesley Matthews kind of, but obviously Wesley Matthews is on the wrong side of his career at this point, and KCP is hit or miss, you know. Um, so they need some capable shooters who can space the floor, um, especially for LeBron and AD, who are both going to be, uh, you know, having so much attention on them um, in the paint. Um, they can. They need some actual three and D guys instead of just a bunch of guys who can play defense, uh, but don't really have a skill set on offense or don't really have a callable, you know, skill on offense where they can go to that time and time again on the floor. Um, where they had a guy like, for example, Danny Green last season who played major minutes for them. Um, though again, he didn't really shoot great in the playoffs, but you knew what you were getting from him on the offensive end, and you, he knew what his role was. You look at a guy like Kyle Kuzma, for example, who, if there's one thing I can say about him, his improve, his defense definitely improved this season. But my point uh, speaks to this, is that, you know, you're throwing him in there for defense. Okay, he's legitimately 6'9". He can play a little bit of defense if you get the most out of him. But on offense, what's his go-to skill set? Nothing. He doesn't have a go-to skill set. We thought it was a three-point shot, but again, like this playoff really proved that it really wasn't there. He's always been a volume shooter, right? right. And that's not going to cut it when you play with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You don't have 20 shots to get into the rhythm. Same with a guy like Alex Crusoe. Though I think Alex Crusoe is great, and he definitely needs to be back on this team. He was What's his go-to skill set on the offensive end? He doesn't really have one either, right? And that goes to a bunch of guys on this team. THT, you know, he's a driver, but can't really shoot that well. Um, so they definitely need some shooting to surround Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, my next point comes to, as we're talking about, Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder. They need some tertiary scoring, right? We know there's LeBron James, there's Anthony Davis. That's the pecking order. It flips game by game, right? They need somebody who can put the ball in the basket after LeBron and Anthony Davis. Especially when they're on the bench. Exactly. And that's where guys like Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder were brought in or were there. You know, they were there to be those guys for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Unfortunately, Kyle Kuzma is terrible like let's call it what it is well, he's terrible i'll say this he's not a guy who can create his own opportunity he's a guy that needs somebody to kind of create for him which again we thought he could be that guy that creates his own shot you know especially before lebron got there that's kind of the flashes he was showing but as you're seeing now especially in playoff basketball it's just that's just not his game and dennis schroeder he thinks he can do too much and you know decides to especially at the beginning of the game tries to drive in for, for layups not hitting the backboard, missing shots in the beginning of the games. And again, like you can't score zero points. Like both these guys have scored zero points in multiple playoff games in a seven game series. Can't happen. And then shooter too. Like, you know, you're talking about a guy who going back to my earlier point, shooting. He can't shoot either. He's not a shooter. He had that one year last year in OKC, which again, as I said, I've said this before as well. The OKC year was a blip on the radar. It's not Dennis Shooter. You know, people were hopeful that this was the new Dennis Schroeder. It's not. We know what Dennis Schroeder is. We've seen him for a number of years in Atlanta. And then in OKC last year, he showed what he could become. But that's not him. What he is, is what he's always been in Atlanta and this year in LA. 
a guy who can drive, who's fast, who plays hard on the defensive end, but is not really skilled offensively in terms of shooting the ball, at least from behind the three-point line. And he showed that this season, um, and especially in the playoffs when Phoenix was willing in, was willing to give those shots to him behind the arc. And unfortunately, you know, because of his shot selection, he ends up taking those shots a lot of the times. So they need some tertiary scoring um, outside of, you know, Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder. And obviously, I'll talk about Dennis Schroeder again in a bit, um, you know, to surround guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Um, the next point uh, I'm going to come to is coaching issues. Oh, man, we I gave, listen, man, I gave a lot of credit to Frank Vogel last year in the playoffs. I gave him so much credit, you know, Too but much it actually. works. No, I think I gave him an adequate amount of credit because to his credit and to his coaching staff's credit, I thought they game planned very well. I thought they had great schemes. I thought their team executed their scheme plan, their schemes and their game plans very well last season. But because of the fact that I gave him a lot of credit last season, I got to do it both ways. As in, I got to give him his criticism now. And this whole season, I've watched a number of LA games. As I've said before, you know, LeBron's my favorite player. So I watch a number of, you know, LA games. Um, the problem is, we know what Frank Vogel is. He's a great defensive coach. The problem is, once again, he was self-part on the offensive end. Now, again, I'm not going to put complete blame on him. The personnel on the offensive end is not great. But it speaks volumes as to how Frank Vogel is still, you know, a subpar offensive coach, unfortunately. And we saw that this season with the Lakers, as I said, you know, the 24th ranked offense. Um, number one, it was just bad rotations all around. A lot of the times he was subbing in players that he didn't need to, subbing out players that were playing great. Um, and, you know, it just did not work well. And as, as I said, the, the, number, the players that encapsulated this point was the center rotation of Marcus Gasol, Andre Drummond, and Montrezl Harrell. You know, we talked about Frank Vogel playing Andre Drummond way too many minutes, um, not putting him off the bench where he would probably be in his best role, you know, playing off the bench. I mean, he didn't even play Drummond in game what, one of the like, six. six. Yeah, they didn't yeah. Even, he didn't even play him. Yeah. And like, that, that was after the criticism that, okay, you should play Marcus all more, but that shouldn't mean you, 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 you don't, you bench Andre Drummond. Like, you have these guys, you can play them in like, in, in splits, you know, like it's possible to do that. And, you know, get the most out of these guys. But the problem is Frank Vogel wasn't able to really figure that out for whatever reason. And I'm I'm really kind of, and we're going to get to it a little later, but I'm trying to wrap my head around where the notion of these average coaches are, you know, somehow be, being perceived as these great head coaches just because they won a championship. Like Frank Vogel, decent head coach. He's never been a great coach. Never been a fantastic, never been an ever out of worldly coach. But no, but then he won one ring, but we're comparing him to Phil Jackson all of a sudden. Like, that's the, the, the mindset. Even now, like with coaching candidates like Jason Kidd and Ty Lu. Oh, man. Like, wh- where are these even. notions coming from that these guys are <laughs> actually good at drawing up X's and O's? Sure, they might be good at commanding a locker room, but there's two elements to coaching. We've talked about it in the past. But yeah, I. I I can't, like, Frank Vogel really played a big factor in why the Lakers just collapsed. Again, to your point, not playing Marcus Gasol enough or putting him in the right situations. We saw how successful he was in Nick Nurse's offense because of the fact that Nick Nurse played him in the role that he was supposed to be. On the top, you know, running the, you know, high post offense. Unfortunately, obviously, LeBron's there, so it kind of complicates things for Marcus Gasol. But, you know, when LeBron's not there, that's what you need him to do. That's what and then... Mean, yeah. Um, a lot of Lakers fans were very pissed off about this. No Montrez Harrell at all. Now, I understand the rationale behind not playing Montrez Harrell, but you know, where they were in the Phoenix series, you got to be able to throw out whatever you can. You got to play all your cards, right? And he kept Montrez Harrell on the bench, unfortunately, even despite the fact that, you know, he has his defensive limitations, but he was able to give you a couple of good minutes, um, and some good energy which the Lakers very, very dearly needed in the series against Phoenix. So him just messing up the center rotations, I think encapsulated the season that they had. As I said, not a good offensive coach. Um, you know, they, were, they relied on LeBron too much. Um, they had, their offensive sets were not great. There was no spacing. Um, it just, it was not a pretty offense to watch. It was kind of terrible to watch. And even me, what, being a Raptors fan, watching our terrible offense, 
our system was still great. So it still made me appreciate Nick Nurse, especially in contrast to a guy like Frank Vogel, when I would watch his system, despite the fact that they had better players than the Toronto Raptors, their system was so much worse. It just made the offense, you know, end look so bad. Um, and that brings me to my final point about, you know, his offense, not putting guys in the right spots, as I talked about with Marcus Gasol, for example. I'm going to talk about Anthony Davis, and this has been, I've been wanting to see this more for the last two years already. It's already been two years. They don't run too many pick and rolls for Anthony Davis, and that makes no sense for me because of the fact that this guy's a legitimate 6'11 dude who can handle the ball, who can shoot from anywhere on the floor, um, get a shot off against anybody, and also a great lob threat. You know, this guy can do everything for you on the offensive end. Why don't you run more pick and rolls? especially with a guy like LeBron, who's a top five, top 10 passer of all time. You know, why would you not run more pick and rolls? Instead, he wants to put Anthony Davis on the block and run a million post-ups for him, which AD can do. But you've seen, it takes a toll on his body. He's already a very injury-prone guy. Making him play in the post all day, every single day, is not great for his long-term outlook. Well, that's and plus, it's not, it doesn't help him. Uh, like, it, it it's not the most ideal thing you can do with Anthony Davis. Well, that's something I wanted to actually touch upon. Like, Anthony, the, some of the blame for the Lakers, you know, this postseason has to be on Anthony Davis as well. Because why aren't you healthy? Like, I understand injuries happen as part of the sport. But how bad is your body to the point where every year there is something that, that you get hurt with? Like... Think about it this way. Now, again, not everyone can be like a LeBron James spending $1.5 million on his body every year. But that's the type of, you know, you know situation you got to be in. You got to put keep your body in tip-top shape. You got to be in shape. You have to, you know, you know, test your body to, you know, bear a full 82-game season and a postseason. And you were brought in because LeBron is aging. He's old. And if, for instance, an injury does happen to LeBron, which, which happened before this Phoenix series... The ankle injury, which was clearly bothering him. Anyone that says LeBron was not bothered by the injury, you're 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 fooling yourself. Because just visually watching him, he was not the same player, especially in the postseason. But with Anthony Davis, <coughs> he was supposed to be there to you know take the load off LeBron and take over these type of games, take over these type of series. But he was hurt, and again, it sucks that he got hurt. But it just can't keep be keep being a trend. Otherwise, in the Lakers, they're going to have to look into maybe moving him at some point because the guy just can't stay healthy. He's one, arguably one of those talented bigs in the game today, if not the most talented big, but he's never, but he's always hurt. The same problem with Joel Embiid as well. But the thing with AD is that, you know, AD was brought in for a, a sole reason, and he's not doing that right now. And To your point, I think I heard this from somebody. I can't remember who it was, um, but they were talking about this AD-LeBron um, you know, duo in comparison to guys like, for example, Shaq and Kobe. Shaq was dominant, and then slowly Kobe took over that number one role. D-Wade and Shaq. Shaq was dominant. D-Wade slowly took over that number one role. You look at Magic and Kareem. Kareem was the dominating factor. Magic slowly took on that role. LeBron's in year 18, man. He's still doing the same thing. That That's kind of unacceptable if you're Anthony Davis. Yeah. You were brought in not only to be LeBron's co-star, but to succeed him as the star for the Los Angeles Lakers. And to this point, LeBron is still the number one guy, which, again, that speaks volumes to as to how great LeBron is. But if you're Anthony Davis, you got to be able to take that mantle away from LeBron. And I know you're going to touch upon it in a second, but you're making $40 million over the next three seasons. Sorry, four years, almost. That you got to do better. Like you got, you got to be better and... The reality of the situation is the other thing with Anthony Davis, and I do and I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. Why can't this guy go go in for a layup? Why can't this guy acknowledge that I'm six I'm six eleven, probably like 250, 260, can go inside and you know lay it up whenever I want? No, I'm settling for mid-range mid-range jumper. That's what AD is doing. But do you know why? Because it's like the Shout out Chris Well, we'll we'll talk about Chris in a future video, in a future episode, but with AD. It's the psychological aspect. He's so afraid of getting hurt. And at least that's what I see. He's so afraid of getting hurt that he's avoiding contact. He's avoiding getting inside. You know, people say, oh, Drummond clogged up the lane. But Drummond wasn't playing and he was still doing the same thing. So it's really in his head that he's very injury prone. And he's really got, has to fix that moving forward. 
Yeah, for sure. And then speaking to your point about, you know, him making $40 million a season, that brings me to my final point about the Los Angeles Lakers. And again, it's not really a good thing if you're a Lakers fan. And my point is that they have a bunch of issues with their cap. Um, They have currently seven players on their books for next season. Um, Montrez Harrell has a player option, which I think he might decline probably. So that brings you to six. And then on top of that, you have, um, you know, a non-guaranteed contract with Alfonso McKinney. With pretty much five players on your books, you're still at around... $106 $106 million, which is around, what, $9 million under the cap. So you only have pretty much a mid-level exception to play with. Now, obviously, you can go over the cap, do all of that. You know, I'm not a cap expert. You can you can definitely do some well, stuff. Well, mid-level is to just get a decent player. Exactly. Like, you still got to sign other, like, fill roster spots as well. So, exactly. Yeah, that it's such a tough Not situation. to mention the fact that they have a couple of players that they clearly do want to bring back. They've talked about them wanting to bring back Andre Drummond. Um, I don't know I why I, I wouldn't, I kind of understand the rationale behind why they want to just, if they're able to bring him back on a cheap contract, sure. You know, you bring him back on like a tiny contract. Okay. Maybe fine. But I really wouldn't want Andre Drummond. Um, but then they have obviously Alex Caruso is one of their, you know, key free agents. He needs to come um, back. He needs to come back. Taylor Horn Tucker, they invested a lot into him. They apparently did not want Kyle Lowry in order to keep Taylor Horn Tucker. What a mistake, man. Um, he's about to be a restricted free agent, so his situation is going to be very interesting. And then Dennis Schroeder. Obviously, both parties have said that they want they want to come back together, but Dennis Schroeder just declined an $80 million contract reportedly in the Foolish. middle of the season. He's definitely not going to get that money. Um, he might. He might still. The Lakers will be like, hey, it's still on the table, but Dennis Schroeder feels like he's worth more than that, he's thinking he's, he's a hundred million dollar player, but he's not. He's not. Um, he's a bench player. He's a very good bench player, but he's a bench player. Um, and so the Los Angeles Lakers have to make a big decision on what they want to do with Dennis Schroeder. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. Um, as I said, Montrezl Harrell also has a player option. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason for them, um, given the number of salary cap issues that they have. They also pretty much have no assets. They have, you know, some of their picks. But obviously, their picks aren't very valuable at all because of the fact that they are a winning team. Um, so you're not going to get much for whatever assets you do have left. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a couple of names that they could potentially get in free agency. Um, but obviously, as I said, it depends on how much room they have to work with. Um, so, you know, Otto Porter Jr., Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, Kevon Looney, Bismack Biombo. These were just a couple of the uh, players I named off the top of my head. Um, and, you know, you see the point that I'm trying to, you know, go to is they need some uh, low maintenance players, cheap players who can fill roles for them and help LeBron AD out on both sides of the court um, and solve some of their issues. Now, again, with the fact that they have no assets and, you know, their salary cap, um, you know, their, their cap book is not looking too great. I don't know how likely it is for them to be able to find any sort of good quality players to fill out the rest of the rotation. But listen, man, LeBron's not getting any younger. And for me personally, AD is a top 10 player in the league, but he's not that number one guy that can get you get you to a championship. I've seen it my his whole career. I've watched him his whole career. He's not that number one guy for me on a championship team. And if LeBron ages even more moving forward, then I think your championship window has closed. Um, So I think you've got to be able to maximize whatever tiny small window uh, of opportunity you have right now for a championship. Because who knows when they'll be able to get another one. Yeah, I mean, I think with Le- with the Lakers, I mean, LeBron isn't getting any younger, as you said, man. He's going into year 19 of his career, which is impressive in its own right. But again, now he's had a couple of years of injuries for the first time in his career, which is pretty pretty amazing, actually. The fact that he barely got hurt until now. And again, you know, injuries at this stage of, the, of his career are going to take more of a toll than maybe an injury early on because of the fact that, you know, he's older. His body has ta- taken a lot of mileage on it. But he is still LeBron, and I think knowing how LeBron operates, I think he will come back in the next season healthier with a vengeance, trying to you know you know will his team maybe to win another one more ring. 
I think that's what LeBron's going to try to do. And the Lakers have to be all in and respect that and get LeBron and AD everything they need to give them a, get them a championship. I think this roster was poorly constructed by Rob Palenka. I think they let go of key guys who they should have probably kept in Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Rondo, you know, some guys that they probably should have kept around, like Danny Green even. So the fact of the matter is that this Lakers team, they have an opportunity to, to improve improve the roster. It's going to be very tough though, but this is their window. That's I will it. say to your point about the roster construction, we got to eat our words for this too because us and most other people before the season started said that this was a great offseason. Um, you know, the additions I think were great, but it just didn't work didn't at work. all on the court. And I think that was the issue. But yeah. I don't, I don't fault Rob Polinka for that because I, you know, we all thought the moves were great. I think he thought the moves were great. But, you know, on court products, a different story altogether. Well, I think we were a little critical of the Andre Drummond move, but. Again, well, that was later on in the season. Yeah. But again, we'll see what happened with the Lakers, but they have a lot of questions to answer heading into this offseason. Which brings us into another team with a ton of questions. We're talking about the Portland Trailblazers. Now, the Blazers finished the regular season with a 42-30 and 30 record. They held the tiebreaker over the Lakers, so they actually ended up being the sixth seed. They didn't have to play in the play-in. Um, and, you know, in the regular season, they were, you know, pretty good offensively. They're second best in offensive rating. But the, the problem with the Blazers is they were the 29th ranked defense. And the funny thing is, this never changed, even in the postseason. Like they were fourth in points per game, but thirteenth in, in opponent points per game. And you, I know what you're probably thinking: thirteenth? Wow, that's pretty good. Out of sixteen, sixteenth, yeah, that's not great. And that's the main reason why the Blazers lost to Denver, even though Denver was injury plagued. Portland simply, you know, and it's been a problem they've had all year: their lack of defense. Besides a few players like Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic. Maybe and Zisha was telling me not even to put him on the put him on, but I'm gonna well because he on. doesn't play, man. Well, I'm just gonna put him on anyways because that's all they have is Rondé Hollis Jefferson. No, well, Derek Jones, I was throwing maybe Derek Jones, but again, similar situation to Rondé. But the problem is, other than these three, maybe four guys, no one else in the Blazers could guard a chair. You know, if if, they, if a chair was on the court, and that was a major problem. You know, even though. You know, the Blazers had an explosive offense, a great offense with Damian Lillard. He dropped, what, 55-10 and 10 in a playoff game? and Set the record for threes in a playoff set game. Set the record for threes in a playoff game. But the problem is, even though they're scoring a lot of points, they're giving up just as many, if not more, on the other end. And that is not a you know a recipe for success. And, you know, the Blazers have a lot of, you know, options in the offseason because they have a lot of players coming off the, coming off the books. Like, obviously, a guy in Yusuf Nurkic, He's already made it pretty clear he's not coming back next year, so he's he's gone. Uh, we have a guy; they have to re-sign Norman Powell, uh, Derek Jones Jr. You know, player option he might decline that. Uh, other than that, then you have guys like Ennis Kanter's a free agent. You know, a bunch of players are free agents this year for the for the Portland Trailblazers. So they really have to rethink about their strategy and reload up. And funny thing is, when I bring up you know, the, you know, Ennis Cantor and, you know, these type of players on the Blazers, it really leads to the second issue with this team. Their bench is garbage. Like, they have no depth whatsoever. Like, it's really funny how, like, you know, like, you know, everyone was praising the Blazers for grabbing a guy like Norman Powell, having, you know, Carmelo Anthony and Damian Lillard, and etc. But besides their starting five or maybe their sixth man, that's it. Like, there's really nobody else on the team that you can reliably put on the floor and expect positive results from. And, you know, ideally the Blazers need to get two-way players and, or at least players that can defend at a high enough level so that their, their great offense can at least be productive on the floor, you know. And there are some potential options that they can, they can choose from. You know, obviously getting a guy like Patty Mills would be great for them being another floor floor general for them guy like maybe kelly olinick tony snell kelly Oubre jr like you kind of understand where i'm kind of getting at where like guys that can kind of you know be two-way players or at least give you depth which is so critical in, in the playoffs you know ideally they need to get damian lillard some sort of help and we talked about this um in our episode a couple episodes ago when we were breaking down the playoffs in the first round for the western conference we talked about the fact that Portland had no depth. 
Um, you know, we said Carmelo Anthony and Enes Cantor were pretty much the only That's guys it, coming yeah. off the bench. And then Terry Stotts finally realized, hey, I have Anthony Simons halfway into the series. Oh, he might be okay. And, you know, he was pretty solid, honestly. But he's not, you know, at least he, he, he's not a guy you can rely on, at least exactly. at this stage of his career. So Portland, to your point, pretty much has no depth. And this led to Damian Lillard having to carry so much of a scoring load. Um, and then obviously the, the rest of five starters, where in even a guy like Yusuf Nurkic, for example, would not play great in the Denver series. But it wasn't entirely his fault because of the fact that he's also carrying such a huge load as probably your best passer on the team, um, as probably your best defender on the team, trying to play make for Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum in the playoffs, and then trying to stop Nikola Jokic on the other end. And you saw he almost fouled out like every single game or fouled out every single game down here. And it took a huge toll on Yusuf Nurkic. Why? Because he was overburdened. And that stems from the fact that they have no depth. Ennis Cantor was his backup. Ennis Cantor is great offensively in terms of scoring the ball at least. But, you know, defense, we know he's arguably the worst defender in the league. I mean, even scoring-wise, like he doesn't really space the floor either. So it, it's not like he really provides them with that with like such a you know important piece on the offensive side of the ball but again like the bench has just been a, such a big problem for them and that's requiring Dame to carry such a huge load and speaking of you know the reason like you know you'd wonder why Dame is carrying such a huge load you know when he has a running mate in CJ McCollum he had a guy like they acquired a guy Norman Powell who was supposed to be really solid Carmelo Anthony is there but the problem is these guys didn't really show up. Maybe Carmelo Anthony. That was pretty much not real. No. Norman Powell for a Carmelo game. Carmelo Anthony kind of sucked. Norman Powell for a game. Um, but I think it might be time for the Blazers to consider trading CJ McCollum. Now, the problem is CJ McCollum makes almost $32 million on average over the next three seasons. And, you know, he hasn't been that reliable in the playoffs. I know his numbers might look good, you know, 20 points per game, etc. But you know what? He reminds me of a guy like Chris Middleton. To be honest with you, like there are certain players that can that are, can be number one, number two guys, but there's just certain players that just can't or are more suited to be a number three or maybe a number four guy on the team. And I think that's kind of what CJ McCollum is. You know, he, there were just mistakes that he made on the floor, like stepping out of bounds in, in, in overtime or turning the ball over or fouling at the wrong time. That missing shots. Missing shots. That like you like you cannot expect Damian Lillard to overcome these level of mistakes, especially when the number two guy. So it might be a good idea to look into what a possible trade would be like for them. Maybe get Dame another another a better a better star player. Problem is, A, the Blazers don't really have any assets to make a trade. And B, you know, McCollum's contract is huge. And the fact of the matter, he's 29 years old. So he's not a young player, but he's making max level money for not really max level production. So, you know, from the Blazers, from, from you know, from the Blazers' perspective, they'd be open to trading him because again, they have a guy in Norman Powell who they can re-sign for cheaper, slot him at the two, maybe get a better get a three or maybe get a better four for a CJ. Problem is, not many really many players that you can get that's an upgrade. The only player that I can think of that's a potential upgrade that maybe just maybe would work is Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is probably the only guy I can see you pair with Damian Lillard. It could be something special. Again, comes back to will the Wizards want CJ McCollum? Like you might have to give up a, another asset or two to make that make a trade like that happen. That's not happening. Or get a third team involved. Like again, the Wizards need to be incentivized to make that make that type of move. And the fact of the matter is, CJ signed just as long as Beal is. He makes just as much as money, and he's not as good. So that's the only player or someone of that caliber that, I, to be honest with you, I was looking, I couldn't find anybody really that would be willing to make a deal. The only alternative to maybe, you know, replacing CJ McCollum is if you trade him away, you salary dump him to a team and maybe sign take a flyer and sign a guy that maybe like a DeMar DeRozan or take a chance on a Victor Oladipo given his health situation and maybe see if that works, you know, pairing that with extra depth, you know. But again, I really think it's time to move on from CJ McCollum. I just, or maybe get somebody in to be a true number two for Damian Lillard because He's carrying too much of a load. Again, this has been an issue for the Portland Trailblazers. And a lot of fans, or especially, you know, CJ McCollum fans have kind of, 
you know, said that CJ isn't the problem for the Portland Trailblazers. And to a degree, they're right. He's not the biggest problem for the Portland Trailblazers. But the problem is, yeah, exactly. He's not the solution. And if you want to be that next level, if you want to get to that next level in the playoffs, you need to have a solution. And CJ McCollum, unfortunately, is a very good player, but he's not that solution. You know, when we're talking about the backcourt of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, what's, you know, the thing that one guy can do, but the other guy, or one guy can do, but the other guy can do, right? How do, how does this backcourt help each other? The truth of the matter is this backcourt doesn't really help each other out. Um, you know, CJ McCollum can score the ball. He can't defend. Same thing with Damian Lillard, except CJ McCollum's a worse version of that because he can't go for 50 like Damian Lillard can. CJ McCollum's undersized for the shooting guard position. Um, not a great playmaker. Uh, you know, like he, he just doesn't fill the holes that you need from a backcourt partner of Damian Lillard. And that's why, you know, this unfortunately just hasn't worked out. Um, you know, talking about Norman Powell, this was an interesting thing. This was a thing I said when they made the deal. I thought, I still thought it was a good deal, but this was the one issue I had with the Portland Trailblazers, knowing their scheme and knowing their personnel, especially with two ball dominant guys in CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard there. Norman Powell, and I was proven right by this, he would be reduced to a spot up shooter, which is not his game. He's a guy that needs the ball in his hands to slash, to attack the paint, and then shoot off of those opportunities that he gets from other guys. They essentially reduced Norman Powell to a spot-up shooter role, and that's why you saw his effectiveness minimized so much. Um, That's not really his role, and he's not a good defender on the other side of the ball. So either way, you were not getting the maximum value and maximum production you could have gotten from Norman Powell or the, the production that you wanted from Norman Powell when you traded for him. And that, again, speaks to the personnel issue of the pairing of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, which is why I agree with your point and have said this for years on end already, um, that I think they just, they need to be able to, they, they need to find a way to get rid of CJ McCollum and bring back something that works better for the team. Doesn't necessarily have to be a player that's, yeah, just as good as CJ McCollum, but something that works better for the team. Yeah, like they can even trade CJ for depth even. But the, the point that we're trying to make is that it's time for them to break up their backwards. Similar to what the Raptors did in twenty eight in the offseason of 2018, where they moved on, they broke up Lowry and DeRozan. They, the Raptors traded DeRozan. Now, they happen to have gotten Kawhi Leonard and, work, and it worked out. But the Blazers got to do something similar to that. It was something in that sort of realm that you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and expect a different result. Speaking of things that they do need to also go out and find, they need to find a new starting center since Yusuf Nurkic is most likely not coming back. And again, Nurkic provided them with that being their defensive anchor, you know, being able to provide them with some offense. And the Blazers obviously need someone to replace that. I think ideally a guy in Sergi Baca would be great for them. I think he would work out very well in terms of being a floor spacer, a defensive guy, uh, good locker room presence. And I think you can get him relatively, relatively on a cheaper deal since he barely played this year uh another option an option that well i mean he is on one more year though well if he opts out yeah so if he opts out then you can go after a guy like sergi paka but another player who i think is more interesting but it will be tough to make a deal work is miles turner and you can only get miles turner via a trade but you this is a move where you can potentially move a cj mccullum uh, and, you know, Indiana needs a, needs a score, needs a guy to give them some level of offense besides DeMontis Sabonis. You know, maybe bring a guy like C.J. McCollum in the pair, which it works better off because now you have a big, you have a guard, you have decent role players. And again, Portland can get back Miles Turner, maybe even a guy like, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm forgetting his name, Jeremy Lamb. You know, maybe get a guy like that back, you know, in, in the deal. And, you know, it could work. You know, the trade in theory could work, but now will the Pacers want to go after a guy like C.J. McCollum and give up a guy like Miles Turner? Who really knows? But Miles Turner would really solve the Blazers' center issues. And finally, the last issue that the Blazers need to solve this offseason, they need they need a new coach. Now, obviously, they parted ways with, well, they basically fired Terry Stotts, which we basically talked about a couple of, a few episodes ago, where if Terry Stotts wasn't able to take the Blazers to a to a deep playoff run, he was pretty much gone. And now we see that that was true. So the Blazers need a new coach. And I, although Terry Stotts, I thought was a pretty good coach in terms of, 
you know, getting the Blazers to the playoffs, you know, and you know, year after year after year. The fact of the matter is that they need they need somebody better than him. And the best example I give, they need like a Nick Nurse type of coach they, or a Steve Kerr, an innovative mind, somebody who could utilize all the pieces on your on the team, you know, in the best way possible. And again, I know that it's so super hard to find, but the Blazers have to make that a point of emphasis because you have a generational player in Damian Lillard and you don't want to waste it. You know, some of the names that have been floating out there have obviously been Jeff Van Gundy because he's been in the running for pretty much every coaching <laughs> vacancy for the last like seven, eight years now. Mike uh, De- last like decade and a half. Maybe the last decade and a half, honestly. You know, to be honest with you, I don't even know if Jeff Van Gundy can still coach. To be honest, I, I, I don't really know. Mike D'Antoni is another one, but I don't think that's a great idea considering, again, they, he's the reason why they call him Mike Antoni because there's no D. The D is not existent <laughs> because Mike D'Antoni doesn't coach defense. Another option is Chauncey Billups, who Damian Lillard has uh, vouched for. Again, I don't know how good Chauncey is as a coach because he's been under uh, Ty Lue's staff with the Clippers. But he could be an interesting op- option to take a flyer on. Another name who I've been actually really surprised about and actually really want to see a coach in the NBA, Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard has right now been coaching Michigan, uh, the college team. And man, if he makes the jump to the NBA, not only will he be instantly respected by every player, but he's pretty darn good. Like, he knows how to coach, which is, you know, it's pretty good for him. So the Blazers definitely need a new coach, somebody who can really get them through the playoffs and really, you know, utilize all their guys, you know, in one shot. But, well, yeah, I think, for example, a guy like Mike D'Antoni, you know, to your point, like Mike Antoni, there's no defense. But the Blazers' MO has never been defense, not really. But they got to change that. Um, they the got to change that. But again, if they can't change it, then a guy like Mike D'Antoni, who can at least help you unlock your offense even further, um, could be an interesting name. Uh, but how yeah, much, like other guys. How much like further Tony, than second can you get? That's my question. <laughs> like, like they're already. Scoring. I feel like they they could definitely be better. You know, from what I've seen, you know, the isolations, the lack of, I think, like sets that Terry Stotts ran. I definitely feel like there's room to improve for the Trailblazers. But again, to your point, you know, that was never their issue. Their issue has always been defense and you know secondary or tertiary scoring next to Damian Lillard. Yeah, but again, they they definitely need to find a new new head coach. Thank God it's not Jason Kidd. <laughs> First of all, Damian Lillard wanted you and you said no. Disrespectful, in my opinion. Second of all, he's not even that great of a coach. Honestly, if the Blazers even hired him, I would have been disappointed because I would have been like, really, that's the best you can do. Again, I, like to your point about Ty Lue and Jason Kidd, I. Like you said, I don't know where they got these reputations for being great head coaches. Remember, Giannis got better after Jason Kidd. And everyone's saying, oh, Jason Kidd unlocked him. Oh, Tyron Lue got to NBA Finals multiple times with LeBron James. He had LeBron James. If you look at how he coached those series, it was terrible, man. There were so many laughable moments that even as a fan, you could see like, bro, what is this guy doing, man? The, their, their locker room presences, right? They're good locker room presences. Even that Jason Kidd, I don't know. Like, eh, you know, maybe he's turned a corner. But again, like Jason Kidd, Ty Lue are locker room presences. But that doesn't necessarily translate to X's and O's results. And that's, you need to be good at doing both, um, you know, both aspects of the job if you want to get your team uh, to, for example, a championship status. You know, what guys like Nick Nurse, for example, Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr, those guys are good at the X's, X's and O's and good at the locker room stuff. You need to be able to do that. Um, if you want to be a great coach. And Jason Kidd, Ty Lue, those types of guys are not good at the X's and O's. And I don't understand this notion that they, they're good coaches. I don't I don't understand where that came from. I can't. I don't understand it either, man. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what the Blazers do. Obviously, this, like, this is, these were our opinions of what the Lakers and the Blazers should do next. Let us know what you guys think. What do you guys think the Blazers should, and the Lakers should do next to improve their team and improve their chances next season? Uh, which brings us into the up and under segment for this week. Uh, first off, starting off with some somber news. Obviously, uh, first off, we got we got to talk about you know the jazz, Utah Jazz le- legend Mark Eaton unfortunately passed away. Uh, obviously, you know I'll let Zishan take it away. He's the historian among us, but big part of the Utah organization. Yeah, man, it's kind of sad too because like unfortunately for some reason this hasn't been talked about, um, and like nobody really talked about Mark Eaton passing away, which was 
Utah Where, players like, definitely did. Utah, Utah as a you know organization definitely did, but I feel like for some reason he didn't get the adequate respect he deserved across the league, um, which is why I'm I want to bring him up at least. Um, you know, like when Mark Eaton obviously, um, you know, was a great defensive player and whatnot. But you know, if you talk to anybody who knew him, they would say like he was one of the best people you ever met. Um, obviously, I don't know him personally, so I can't speak. Rudy to Gobert that. definitely talked about him a little bit, yeah. especially like yeah, definitely on the connection he made with him and one of the biggest players in NBA history, you know. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's pretty sad too because of the fact that it was a biking accident, mm. and um, you know we've seen a number of biking accidents, like terrible biking accidents in the Utah area recently. Um, Sean Bradley is another name who unfortunately is being paralyzed on you know due to a biking accident. But yeah, man, it's it's. it's it's pretty messed up, you know. Obviously, um, you know, thoughts burst his family, but you know, yeah, man. Like rest in peace to Mark Eaton, man. He's definitely a legend of the game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, are you up or under on the Nuggets as Nikola Jokic actually winning the MVP? And this was recently announced. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm, are you up or under on it, dude? I'm hella up on this, man. We we told y'all that this was gonna happen. Like, right, as of right now, we're three or four in NBA award, award. We'll talk about the next one, you know, obviously. Cause, you, know, <laughs> we, you know, funny, we, we saw it coming, too. We did see it coming. But, you know, we, we talked about what Jokic has been doing this season. It's just been unheard of for, for, from the big man's position. Like, the guy averaged almost 30 points per game, grabbed almost 11 rebounds, and was still dishing out eight assists per game. Like, that's unheard of. He was the best player from start to finish this season. He played every single game. You saw what he did in the postseason. You know, Steph Curry was great this year. You know, Joel Embiid was good. Was great this year, too. But I, I think Jokic just had a much better overall year than both those guys. And I think that's why he definitely deserves the award. And not to mention the fact that he had to carry the team a lot of times, Yeah, he right? did. Um, he finished with yeah, the Denver Nuggets, despite the injuries and the struggles that they had, um... They only finished with four less wins than the Philadelphia 76ers, which is insane. And that speaks volumes as to how how great Nikola Jokic is as a player for him to be able to carry this Denver Nuggets team to the degree of success that they have. You know, Nikola Jokic, yeah, man, definitely deserves um, yeah. to win the MVP award. See, I don't think Nikola Jokic gets some, enough respect. I think because of his style is unorthodox, but I think definitely after this award, people have now acknowledged that how good he actually is. Yeah. Uh, next up, are you up or under on God damn it? New York Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau wins the NBA Coach of the Year award. Um, okay, so I'm under on it. Listen, I'm not saying I'm under on it because of the fact that he doesn't deserve it. He definitely does deserve it, I think which is doesn't. why we we said um, you know that he was in our list. We did give the award to Quinn Snyder, um, which I think either him or Monty Williams still deserved this award over Tom Thibodeau. But as we said in our episode when we predicted the awards, I think I'm pretty sure I said it that I, you know, despite the fact that we gave our award to Quinn Snyder, I said that I am pretty sure that uh, Tom Thibodeau will win it because of the fact that, first of all, he got his team 20 more wins than the previous season. Um, And then second of all, it's New York. It's the Knicks. You know, it's big market. Listen, I don't give a damn about any of that. (laughs) <laughs> the fact of the matter is, A, first off, first off, I can get it all out of here. Thank you, Atlanta Hawks, for proving my whole point. The New York Knicks were, they were, they were okay. They weren't, they weren't great. You know, this is the first year they were above average, and the Knicks thought they were going to win a championship. I'm glad they got humbled at the fan base. <laughs> Your Knicks Thank fans chanting, we want Brooklyn, bro. Bro, yeah. I can't wait. I, you, bro, you wouldn't even want Brooklyn, honestly. You, the way they're playing the box, you wouldn't even want them. But, you know, it's it's funny how the Knicks really like. I'm waiting for Tom Thibodeau to eventually like have a like you know to miss the playoffs next year. I'm I'm I'm, I'm really waiting for it to happen for that the, this fan base to be humbled. I still think Tom Thibodeau is a flawed head coach in terms of again the Knicks were so bad on offense. You saw it in the playoffs, and Trey Young you know tore them apart. Even despite having the fourth best defense in the league, Trey Young tore them apart. I don't even like Trey Young that much, but. He played well. And, you know, the, the reality is I, I think Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams did a much better job with their teams, getting the most out of their players, higher seeds in more difficult conferences. I definitely think those two guys deserved it over Tom Thibodeau. But again, it's the New York factor. It's the media factor. 
which I I kind of disagree with. Yeah, man. Uh, damn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like ruined again, our predictions. Ruined our predictions. We were going again. so well. It's not that he doesn't deserve it, but like, man, I, mean, I, I still want to give it to him. Other guys deserve it more. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, next up, are you up or under on Mavericks legend Dirk Nowitzki saying that Luka Doncic has already surpassed him as the Mavericks GOAT? I'm under because not yet. Luka's got to win a title. Uh, title, maybe an MVP to you know, definitively surpass him. I think talent-wise, I think he has more talent than Dirk has. Uh, but in terms of accomplishments, Dirk has accomplished far more than Luca has. I think Luca would admit that himself. You know, the Mavs won a title with Dirk. Uh, Dirk won an MVP. Uh, Luca still has some ways to go, but again, he's only 22 years old, so I think he he has enough time to to surpass him. I mean, again, like Dirk played how many seasons? Like what, 19 or something? 20, I think. At 20, uh, Luca Doncic is in his what third season, fourth season, whatever third. it is. So you know. Give him time. Yeah, give he, him, he, I think he'll get there. Yeah, but you know, not, as not of yet. right now, obviously not yet. Not yet. Uh, speaking of the Mavericks, are you up or under on Kristaps Porzingis, uh, aka Andrea Bargnani 2.0, according to Zishan, <laughs> reportedly does not feel like Luka Doncic's co-star and feels more like an afterthought on the offense. Hey, I will say, um, shout out to whoever came up with the Andrea Bargnani 2.0 meme. Bro, you that can't was unsee not, it. That was not me. Uh, I, I won't take credit for, for that. Bro, you can't unsee that now. Yeah, you can't, bro. You can't. I saw that once. I was like, oh my God, bro. Like, epiphany. Um, but listen, I'm up and I'm also under. Um, in the sense that I'm under because Chris Asperzingis, you sucked. Plain and simple. Like, you were not good, right? You were not good. Everyone knows that. Um, you do Boban not, outplayed you. You do not deserve to be paid a billion dollars, whatever you're getting paid right now, um, you know, being treated as that second star, uh, you completely finessed the Dallas Mavericks because they thought they were getting a secondary uh, all-star pretty much to pair with Luka Doncic. And Bro, you were not that. $30 million. That. Again, I won't give full blame to Chris Esprzingis. Injuries have taken a toll. He is 7'3". We know how injuries are, especially lower in, uh, body injuries with big men. So again, I'm not going to kill him you know completely for it um but the point of the matter is you still suck um andrea barniani 2.0 you were kind of looking like it for a lot of time but i will say i'm up on on it in the sense that and we were talking about this before me and honey um i don't think we're car- i i may be of the opinion now um and this opinion has been forming for a while i don't think rick Carlisle's a very good coach and this is one of the reasons why Kristaps Porzingis in Rick Carlisle's offensive system has not been utilized correctly at all. There was that famous quote that Rick Carlisle had a couple years, was it last year or a couple years ago? I can't remember. Where he said, uh, somebody asked him, why don't you post up Kristaps uh, Porzingis? Because of the fact that he was so successful at it in, in New York. And he said, the post up is not a good thing in today's NBA. And that's clearly false. That is completely yeah, false. I don't right. understand where that notion came from. Um, th- that's completely false. And I think I'm going to say that I, I no longer qualify Rick Carlisle as a top coach in my books. And I think that 2011 championship, first of all, credit to Dirk Nowitzki and the rest of the players. But I think Dwayne Casey, I'm giving Dwayne Casey a lot more credit for that now. Um, you know, I already gave him a bunch of credit, but I think Dwayne Casey deserves even more of that credit now. I don't think Rick Carlisle is a great coach. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, Chris Asperzingis has been relegated to a spot-up shooter in the offense, which, again, despite his struggles, that's not what you want to do with a seven foot three guy that can dribble the ball, that can shoot from anywhere, that can get into a post, catch loves. You know, this guy is very, very talented, and you've reduced him to a spot-up shooter. Especially what's even worse is the fact that Luka Doncic needs secondary scoring with him. And you've relegated his best secondary scorer to a guy that can only get the ball and shoot the ball. You know, so Luka yeah. Doncic has to have even more work on his plate. So, again, Kristaps Porzingis was not good at all. But I don't fault him for feeling some type of weight in Rick Carlisle's system either. Well, listen, like about Rick Carlisle, 
I still think he's a he's a pretty good head coach. He's better than Ty Lue and, and, and these other coaches. Oh so, no, I don't disagree. with So that, I think but. in terms of in terms of that, he's still like, he might not be in the upper tier, but he's definitely in the in the second tier at least, and at least in my books at least. But you know, Porzingis didn't play well. Like he he did not play well. Like you're seven three, and you're settling on taking turnaround jump shots. That's literally what Andrea Bargnani did, <laughs> and it, it's 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 and plus again, you're negative defensively, which. Even though you are more, you can move better than Bargnani ever did, and it, it's the. I think if he stepped up more, the Mavs might have actually been able to close this series out in six. The problem is he didn't do it. Now you can blame Rick Carlisle for not putting him in the best positions to succeed. Fine, but you got to also blame the player as well. The reality is, uh, when it came down to it, Rick Carlisle trusted Boban over Kristaps Porzingis because Boban could, was doing was playing his role: get the ball, dunk the ball. You know, nobody can stop it. Boban's a legend, by the way. Again, best playoff performer ever. Um, Boban, so. Boban's a goal. Um, I will say for Chris Asperzingis on the defensive end, number one, I thought he actually played pretty well in the Clippers series on defense. Not to the capabilities that he's shown before, but he did, I think, play pretty solid. Um, but in terms of his defense, I won't really fault Chris Asperzingis that much because it's not really his fault for his defense anymore, right? The injuries have taken a toll on him. Um, he was a great defender in New York. The offense is his fault. A lot of it, at least, is his fault. Um, but defensively, I, I won't really blame the guy for his defensive issues because of the injuries. Um, next up, are you up or under on the Magic and Steve Clifford parting ways? Yeah, I'm up on it. I mean, we called it. Uh, we said it was going to happen. Uh, I think this is one of our... I think this is one of our coaches in our coaching coaches hit list that actually. No, it was. wasn't. It wasn't one of the coaches on the list. Was he an honorable mention? But we did say that he was probably gonna get canned. Yeah, I think we said he was an honorable mention, but you know, we, I think the coaches hit list was guys that we didn't like at all. But we do like Steve Clifford. It's just yeah, that wasn't great. We think he's a good. He's a, he's a solid coach, and I think if he comes on to a to a winning team with as more of a defensive coordinator type of role, I think he can definitely be. He'll be fantastic in that role. But in terms of him being a head coach, especially for the Magic, they're just going in two different directions now that it just it didn't make, it doesn't make sense to keep him around. I think the Magic are trying to do what the Thunder did, get like a younger coach and who can develop younger players and uh, rebuild that way. So I'm not surprised that it happened, to be honest with you. Yeah, man, exactly. It's, yeah. It, it was it was bound to happen. Plus for Steve Clifford as well, like you kind of want to get out of that situation. That Pretty much. Uh, but moving on, finally to end off this episode. Are you up or under on Boston Celtics, former Boston Celtics president Danny Ainge retires and Brad Stevens is apparently going to be moving up into his role? Uh, honestly, I the don't. The turmoil begins. I mean, I guess I'm up on it because of the fact that Danny Ainge is kind of clearly time for him to move on. Yo, Danny um, Ainge gave up. <laughs> he kind of did. But also, again, you know, the you know the heart issues that he had kind of makes okay, sense. Fine. He is older. Uh, but I think... Like, first of all, I, I don't know how to process this. I don't think anybody knows how to process this. Bro, no one saw this coming. It just, it came, exactly. It came out of nowhere. Like, what? Like, when it happened, everyone was just like, what? What what just happened? Right? Like, nobody knows how to process it. First of all, we don't know how Brad Stevens is going to do in this new role. We don't know if it was a good thing for him to move out of a head coaching role. Um, we don't know if anybody will come in through the door for a head coaching job that will be better than Brad Stevens. That's, yeah. So it's just it's, it was a very weird situation all around, um, and it kind of encapsulates the season that the Boston Celtics have had. It's been a very weird, disappointing, and up and down season for them. season. Like I think, yeah, like what you were saying, like Danny Ainge retiring. Although again, I'm joking that Danny Ainge gave up, which he definitely did. He kind of did. He definitely did. I mean, the rap. I mean, listen, the Raptors won more championships in the last decade than you did. But you know what? We're just, we're just saying. <laughs> Just saying. But you had a chance to trade for Kawhi and AD and you didn't. But, you know, just saying. So I'm not and, and the players they did trade for, it, it completely they failed. They busted. Yeah. The only, your best move was getting Jason Tatum and Jalen yeah. Brown. Those, those are your best moves. But in terms of him retiring, not surprising. But Brad Stevens leaving coaching to take over that role. First off, people were pissed because they were like, yo, there's a lot more experienced candidates who could have taken on that role, which I definitely agree with. And I... Not to say Brad Stevens can't do this role. I think he's a very smart guy, and I think he can definitely do it. But in terms of you moving from a coach all the way up to an executive, like a, like a you know a 
president of, of basketball operations. Dude, that's a huge jump, which means ownership must really love Brad Stevens. But it comes back to your point. Who is Brad Stevens going to get to replace Brad Stevens? Like, who's going to be better than him or at least just as good as he was in terms of the X's and O's? Like, we're talking about, like, like the Blazers not really having a ton of coaching candidates. Who do the Celtics have? Like, the Celtics are looking at Jason Kidd. Don't hire Jason Kidd, please. <laughs> Actually, you know what? As a Raptor fan, hire Jason Kidd. I would please love it. do. I would love it. Thank you. But in terms of a basketball sense or a, pra- from a practical sense, like, there's not really a ton of great candidates. Unless Brad Stevens knows something that we all don't know, which he probably does, finding a replacement is going to be next to impossible, I think. About Brad Stevens, too, reportedly the reason why you want to get over the head coaching role, again, kind of understandable is because apparently he was kind of just worn out by it at that point, which I do understand, you know, huge expectations when it comes to the Boston Celtics, obviously. And, you know, these last couple of years have taken their toll on him. Um, but I will say Brad Stevens as well, you know, that Butler experience, that college experience in college as a coach, you're also a recruiter, right? So you kind of have a little bit of general managing experience, right? Some sort of executive level experience, which I think could help him in this but regard. The NBA is a little different in terms of it's definitely deal, different. With, deal with agents, develop relationships with other GMs and you know, really work it that way. But maybe in terms of the coach... Well, Brad Stevens doesn't have anybody that doesn't like him, at least. So, uh, Yeah, know, not that we know of, at least. Yeah. But I think in terms of, you know, who's... I think we're more concerned of who the, who's he going to get to replace him. I think most likely he'll get to find a college guy that none of us have heard of, but he probably is like, yo, this guy can coach. That's my gut feeling on it. But yeah, dude, this is, this is crazy, man. The turmoil in Boston begins, and I love it. <laughs> But yeah, man, with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to the show on all the various platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, YouTube, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Upletter Podcast. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Upletter N under podcast, Facebook.com slash Upletter Podcast for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. Also, check out our website, UplanderPodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where you don't have time to listen or watch the full episode. You can read about it, about it on our website. We post blog posts with every single episode. So definitely check that out. Check that out if you haven't done so. So stay tuned for next for next episode. We're going to be doing another what's next for type of episode for another couple of teams. So definitely stay tuned for that. And then off-season content will be coming soon as well. With that, that concludes this week's episode. We'll see you guys all in the next one. Take it easy. Easy.